Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Hey there, how's it going, eh? This is What You've Been Playing Wednesday, and this is a special weekly episode where a bunch of us content creators come together and talk to you about the games we've been playing recently. And on this episode are That Tabletop Bellhop, The Meeple Dungeon, Meeple and the Moose, Board on the Air, Mr. Rao Rants and Reviews, Mozart Games, Dice and Dragons, and Cardboard Conjecture. And as always, please check out the show notes to the links to the What You've Been Playing Wednesday cast. Sit back and enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Tabletop Bellhop segment of What You've Been Playing Wednesday. I am Mo Tuzano, the Tabletop Bellhop, your cardboard concierge, answering your gaming and game night questions and striving to make everyone's gaming experience better. If you've got a game or game night question for me, you can send it to questions at tabletopbellhop.com, visit our webpage and click on Ask the Bellhop, or hit me up on social media where I can be found everywhere as Tabletop Bellhop One Word. Now the question I'm answering today, of course, is what you've been playing Wednesday will be what have I been playing in the past week, and I've got three different games to talk about. Note, that's not counting my digital plays on Board Game Arena, which are pretty much ongoing nowadays. So the first game I want to talk about tonight is Gorinto, a fantastic tile drafting and tile laying game from Grand Gamers Guild. Um, I would call myself an ambassador for this game. I like to call it the Azul Killer. I love Gorinto. Well, I got my shiny Kickstarter copy of Gorinto, and all the time I've had it, I've not played it with five players. We finally sat down and tried Gorinto with five players, which I've got to say it went well. Everything I love about Gorinto is still there, but we did run into something difficult, some difficulty, something interesting. So according to the rules, which are just on a single card in with the expansion, um, you need to add in five more tiles of each of the five elements to the bag while before starting the game. And while that works, it's fine. We did this. It just made no sense because with four players, every round you leave two tiles unclaimed. So I would have just assumed that with five players, they would get those two tiles. They would get drafted normally and there would be no tiles that don't get used in one way or another during the game. But while putting 25 extras in just meant at the end of the game, we had 25 left, which also meant the perfect information of the game's round. Normally there is a, a perfect balance of all the different tiles. And while this skewed the distribution and this particular game, we had way more wind tiles come out than any others. Now, we talked about this after the game. We sat down with the five of us and said, well, that felt a little weird. What do you what do you think's wrong here? Like, that's just not what I expected at all. Why are they telling us to add 25 tiles? And we all had various theories, like maybe they didn't want the perfect information or maybe they wanted a random element. But to me, that doesn't fit with the rest of the game. The game is is very structured and about organization and knowledge and having a random element of different tiles not coming out the same odds seemed weird to me. So we weren't sure what to do, right? So... We sat down and went, how about we put another layer on the mountain, the, the part you're drafting from? That way, you're using up 25 more tiles. Now, not the 25 tiles, so it's not evenly. We just threw all the tiles in the bag. Then when we built the mountain, we actually added one more tile. So this had two effects. First off, the color distribution was perfectly balanced, as it should be. But it also meant there were more tiles to draft while playing. Now, while we didn't empty the mountain in that first game, it was pretty sparse. The second game, this wasn't a problem at all. There were plenty of tiles for everyone to draft, which felt better. So after trying both ways to play, the next day I reached out to Grand Gamers Guild, and I was like, hey, Mark, um, this doesn't seem right. And sadly, it ends up the rule card is missing a section that should instruct players to do what we did in game two, which is add one tile to each stack when playing with five players. This is kind of a bummer because of how much we do advocate for this game. I still love Garento, but I'm bummed to hear that there's a mistake in there and people who don't have a contact at Grand Gamers Guild or non-hobby gamers may not even know to question why you're adding those extra tiles in. 
Nonetheless, I still got to say, Grinto is one of the best games in my collection, a fantastic abstract strategy game, and it is just as good with five players. And honestly, I thought it felt fine just with the original tiles or with the tiles added in. Works both ways. Now, next up, we played another game of Tales from the Loop, the board game. Um, if you've been listening in the last few weeks, you've heard me go on and on about this game and the various problems we've been having with it. And if you remember correctly, last week, we talked, I talked about playing a three-player game and how much better that was than playing four or five. And again, I actually think the game is honestly broken at four or five players, especially five. Well, I decided to give it three players, one more shot with Tori and Kat, friends, friends of ours, and play with a bunch of experienced gamers who played the game before, but with only three players. And I have a couple important things to say. First off, we won. We actually won one of the scenarios. So they are definitely not unwinnable. We actually won pretty handily. Second, to do so, we hacked a robot and rode it. So those were things that seemed nigh impossible with four or five players, and we managed to do both. We won the game, we hacked a robot successfully, and used the ride a robot action. So I was really pleased to see the game work. Um, I had, of the two people who played with us, Tori and Kat, were there for our first terrible experience where we tried multiple times and we're trying to figure the game out and Googling rule fixes and contacting the designer and trying to figure this game out. Well, I think I finally sold them on how this game could be cool. And I feel really bad that we didn't start at three players. Like, like if we hadn't had that four to five player experience, we wouldn't have soured on the game already. Now, Tori, one of the players, is still done with the game. He's, he's played it enough. He's glad he got to try it three player and he's glad he got to finish it. Now, the scenario we played is the passenger. So here's another heads up for new players. I do recommend playing the passenger. The passenger was significantly easier than bottom muck, which is the scenario the game recommends. So start with the passenger or the light fantastic. Both of those are better intros. And if you're going to play Tales from the board game, the, the setting's fantastic. The rest of it's great, but stick to three players maximum. Now, for a whole bunch more on Tales from the Loop, the board game, we are going to be reviewing it on tonight's live show. So if you join us at twitch.tv slash tabletopbellhop, you can hear my final thoughts uh, from good to bad on Tales from the Loop, the board game tonight, 9 p.m. Eastern on Twitch. Now, the final game I got to the table is Founders of Teotihuacan. Now, I talked a bit about this last week, but we had only played two players. Uh, this time, we sat down with a three-player? No, we did a full four-player game. We had set up a three-player game, then my wife was available. We played a full four-player game of Founders of Teot to walk in, and I've got to say I'm impressed. Um, having played the game twice does help. There, there's definitely a learning curve. If you do play this game, I strongly recommend, if you're if you're so-so on it, definitely give it a second try. There was very different gameplay when we played the second time. Uh, one of the things I will point out is we did play extreme the first time. That is one of the bellhops rules. Your first play of any game is going to be extreme, whether you know it or not. You're going to mess something up. Well, we did. Um, we had an issue where Deanna at the beginning of the game had scored one of the masks. Well, it ends up your starting tiles when you place them can't cover any masks. Pretty simple rule. It's easy to miss, even though it's in the rule book multiple times. I'm just going to claim it was easy to miss because we missed it. So yeah, make sure you don't make that mistake. Uh, this one's coming soon. Uh, we were looking at a uh, pre-production copy. This is a lighter version of Teo. Uh, it's, it's a simpler version. It's not quite the same game, It doesn't, but it's got a lot of the same themes. But it's a nice meaty tile laying euro that plays in about an hour and i gotta say that's a nice sweet spot this is one i wish local gaming events had started off so i could show it off because i think some of the local gamers are going to love this now i still got to play this a few more times before i share my final thoughts which you'll be able to find on our blog and on youtube eventually so that's it for my physical gameplays this week i do want to hear what everyone else has been playing personally i've been really swamped with an amazon sale uh there's a big buy to get one free going on and i've been sharing deals all day so um, I'm looking forward to see what other gaming got in because I didn't get in nearly as much as I'd hoped. Now, before I go, I do want to remind you to visit tabletopbellhop.com. Join us on Wednesdays on Twitch at 9 p.m. Eastern, where we record the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, which you can, of course, find on your podcatcher of choice if you can't join us live. Also, we tend to hang out on YouTube at 1 p.m. on Sundays and invite you to join us for brunch if we do happen to go live. For the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, I am Mo Tuzano, the Tabletop Bellhop. Good day and game on. Hello, everybody. It's Rob and Anna Marie from the Meeple Dungeon. Hello.
And we are back again recording for the What You've Been Playing Wednesdays podcast. And this week we have a couple games to talk about. We attended uh, KadooCon here in Kelowna this past weekend, which was a gaming gathering put on by <laughs> our friend Chris Kadoo here in Kelowna. And yeah, we saw a bunch of people there. Not a ton. I think there was eight or nine of us or whatever. Yeah. But um, uh, that we hadn't seen since the pandemic began. Yeah, largest game gathering we've had in, in quite yeah, some time. it was really cool. <laughs> um, yeah, thanks to Chris for putting yeah. that on. And we got to see Chris Morris there. Uh, he is Spider Mo on Twitter and Mozart Games here on... Fellow uh, contributor of What You've Been Playing Wednesday. Yes. So, yeah, we got to see Chris and Chris, and it was great. And we got <laughs> to play a bunch of games. We played a few games together. I think we played four or five games yep. all together. But um, we also played a couple games separately. So one game I got to play that you didn't get to play. I'm going to talk about that. It is called It's a Wonderful World, designed by Frederick Girard and published by uh, Lucky Duck Games and a few other publishers, I believe. So this one is an interesting one. I'd seen it around for ever, well, a long, long time. And Me I'd too. always been curious what it was and what it's about. And um, so I got to play it. And it's what this game is is kind of a deck building drafting resource management game and it's quite quick it's only four rounds and you at the beginning of the game you are drafting out your hand and you're basically drafting um buildings and like structures futuristic kind of structures and uh technology and you are, so you're going to be drafting out a hand of seven cards and you're going to be passing them around the table, getting, you know, pass and pass and draft kind of thing. And then you are going to have a starting set of resources on your player board. And of those cards in your hand, you are going to spend your resources to try and build some of them. Because at the beginning of the next round, uh, you're going to gain the resources from the cards that you were able to build. And it just starts to build that way. As you go through the rounds, you're drafting more cards and you're using your resources to buy more cards. And each card has different bonuses attached to it and all sorts of cool things. It was a really, really neat, uh, quick game. I thought, it, from the judging by the box, I thought it was like a longer, Me bigger game. Me too. And I it, totally thought it was like an hour and a half. Yeah, no. It, I think we were least. done in about 45 minutes or yeah. so. And you were done in the same length that I was done the next game I'm going to talk about. Yeah, which seems to be like a complete opposite <laughs> yes. kind of type of game but yeah this was a good one it was neat it's just kind of a, a tableau building resource management uh card drafting game and it was really really good uh, the theme i don't know what the theme is i don't know what a wonderful world is i don't know if this is a series of books or something that this is based on so the theme was next to whatever Didn't here nor really there matter. you had a, had fun playing it anyway yeah but it was fun yeah and i absolutely <laughs> crushed them at this which was great beginner's luck yeah but i don't win a lot of games <laughs> no <laughs> so i know it was nice <laughs> I think I had 70-something points, and the second place had, like, 30 or something. And I would say you didn't used to win a lot of games. You are you are starting better, to win more. But I used to be horrible. I used yeah. to have, like, <laughs> the worst winning record ever. <laughs> but, no, this one was fun. Um, and it, it has a bunch of accolades attached to it. It's got, like, Dice Tower Seal of Excellence attached to it. So, nice. I mean, it's, like, it was a pretty fun game. I enjoyed it. It was I liked it particularly because of how quick it was. Yeah. And... Um, because it just seemed like a longer game, and it wasn't. So, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And, yeah, so that's It's a Wonderful World uh, from Lucky Duck Games. What did you awesome. play, Anna-Marie? I played Scout, um, designed by Kai Kajino, art by Ri Komak Tsuzaki and Jun Susaki. Sasaki, sorry. And it's published by Oink Games. So one of those right, big Oink. games yep. and a little box games. Mm -hmm. And I had seen this one a ton and I always intrigued by them because I quite enjoy Oink Games. And this one is no different. I I loved it. Uh, very neat. So it had some neat um, neat mechanics in it. So you get... Um, we, we were playing with four people. You deal the cards out evenly. So you deal the deck out. And... You've got, uh, everybody looks at their cards, but you can't change the order in which you get them. So you pick up right. your cards, they stay as is. Oh, yeah, I like that. I like that mechanic. Yeah. So you get dealt your hand, and 
as it is is how it is. Yeah. But isn't that one that one you can either flip it upside down, left or right, or whatever? Yeah. So yeah. you you basically you you look at your cards and you see how they how they play out. Yep. Then you can flip your deck around because there will be a different number on the top of the card versus the bottom of the card. Right. So yes. when you turn it around, you're going to have a completely different array of cards. And to start the game, uh, start the round, you get to choose Whether which you want to. Yeah, up. if you want to play yep. the top or the bottom, whichever. Very one. cool. I like that. Oh a yeah, lot. it yeah. was so neat. And then, so once everybody's decided how they're going to play, uh, which which way, then uh, the starting player is going to lay down a card. Now they're either going to lay down a single, a double, like any kind of set, two, three, four, whatever, okay. or a run. And a run in this case could be two, like a one, two, or a five, six. And you can just pull these from anywhere in your hand? They have to be together. Like in your hand, you'd have to have two twos side by side. Side by side. Oh, okay. Yeah, they right. can't be separated by anything. Okay. And so you can... Um, so you, the first person plays down. Let's say they play like a single seven. Mm-hmm. The next person, um, they could play an eight, nine, or ten, just like one up higher. Or they could play um, a pair, like two twos. Or they could play a one two, just like a run of something. Okay. And then, um, and if they did, if they were, that would be beating the original card. They would lay down. Then they would take the other person's card and flip it face down in a pile. And that would be a game end point for them for the round. Okay. So you keep going like that. If the next person say they played down a pair of twos, so then the next person's got to beat that with either, you know, a run of three or higher or a set of three or higher. If they can't or they don't want to, they can scout a card. So they would take one of the twos into their hand. The other player would get then like a little token as a point. And when they take the two into their hand, they can choose to either use it as the two or at that point, they can flip it over and use the other side of the card. And they, so say it was a seven on the other side. So they can choose if they want the two or the seven hmm. and they slot it into their hand wherever they'd like. Okay. And so then you keep going around trying to gain other people's cards and trying to gain little tokens because those are going to be your points. Um, and you keep going around and around until somebody generally will lay down a lot of cards. So maybe like five or six, whether it's a set or a run. And then it's got to go all the way around the table. If it makes it back to them um, without people being able to beat it, that's the end of the round. Or if somebody can lay down and completely like um, lay out, like have no cards left in their hand. Mm-hmm. And um, and then you any cards you have left in your hand, you count back, but you can kind of balance them off with points you've collected. And then you play four rounds and whoever has the uh, highest score wins. I was totally slaughtered. Uh, dead last, but it was so much fun. There's like one chance in the game where you can scout and show. So you can like, you turn your little token over and you can pull one of their cards, but then lay down as well. So it's kind of like two in one turn. Right. But, oh my gosh. In fairness though, you were being, or you were up against Scott yeah. in this game. So. <laughs> That's true. The other players were good too, but I had a ton mm. of fun. I'm, I'm looking to get it. It's sold out at our local game store, so I'm yep. on the prowl for it. <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah, you're at a, a disadvantage playing against Scott in any game. So that, that's true. And <clears throat> for anyone out there that wants to follow someone, uh, probably the best board gamer we've ever played with. That's board game at board game nights on Twitter. He's a, a local guy here named Scott. He's fantastic. He's so awesome. You should check yeah. uh, <laughs> his Twitter feed. Um, but yeah, it's uh, yeah. The game sounded awesome. I heard you guys liking it a lot. Yeah. And oink. It uh, doesn't really miss too often, so this one sounds like a winner. It is so, definitely a winner yeah. for me. So Scout uh, from Oink. Scout from Oink Games. Sounds yeah. good. Uh, but yeah, that's it for this week. Uh, we are going to be recording our podcast here uh, tomorrow night, and it will be featuring a review of Boone Lake. Yeah. Yes, from Alexander Fister. So, yeah, uh, stay tuned for that one. And uh, yeah, <laughs> we'll see you next week. Cheers. See ya. Hello, my name is Alex McKenzie. I write board game reviews over at MeepleInTheMoose.com. And I'm here to talk about the games I played this week for What You've Been Playing Wednesday. The first game I played this week was Crokinole. Crokinole is a classic Canadian game. I'm also perpetually surprised at how how many people have a history with Crokinole. I only just recently learned that my mother-in-law used to gather at her local community center and play game after game of Crokinole during those long Saskatchewan winter nights. Crokinole is a dexterity game. 
the board is a large circle with several rings indicating the scoring zones. Each player will have a certain number of discs or pucks, and the goal of the game is to flick your discs and have them remain on the board by the end of the game. The board features a pocket right in the center, which is worth 20 points if you can sink your disc into the pocket. However, the trick is if someone already has a disc on the board, you must first hit their disc. I should say, if one of your opponents has a disc on the board, you must hit one of your opponent's disc first. Actually, Norm reviewed Crokinole right here on Car- Cardboard Conjecture just a couple episodes ago. If you want to hear his lavish praise, just dial back a couple episodes and you'll hear his thoughts. I love Crokinole. It's a classic for a reason. Um, my group usually enjoys big economic Euro games such as Brass Birmingham, Food Chain Magnate, and Yokohama. This week, hoping for something a little bit lighter, we play Crokinole, and man, there is joy to be found in a dexterity game like this one. The competition was fierce, and the whoops of joy and groans of anguish during the good and bad shots is something that just can't be replicated in other economic Euro games. If you know anyone who has a Crokinole board, I highly suggest you have them break it out. After Crokinole, we finished off the last two games of My City by Reiner Knizia. This marks the third campaign game I've actually finished, with Lord of, Lord of the Rings, Journeys of Middle-Earth, and Scythe, Rise of Fenris being the other two. My City has 24 games broken into 8 chapters. Each chapter contains 3 games. Every chapter introduces new rules and mechanics that puts subtle twists on the gameplay. In general, each game of My City consists of one player flipping over a card, and everyone placing the depicted polyomino piece onto their board, adjacent to at least one other piece. Each individual game of My City takes between 15 and 30 minutes, making the small tile-laying game a fast and enjoyable experience. As I said last week, the ever-changing rule set generally satisfies my need for discovery, and it's hard to imagine someone truly mastering My City to the point where they could win reliably. It also helps that by the time you reach the end of the campaign, everyone has very different boards and even different pieces available to them that could swing certain games. I'm not sure if we'll return to my city now that the campaign is over. You might, if only, just to say that we played the forever version. I think now that there are no more stickers to place or goals to earn, our desire to return to my city will wane significantly. We finished off our Wednesday game night by playing The Crew, The Quest for Planet 9. You know, it feels like almost everyone has at least one trick-taking game in their history, but very few of them have been cooperative. The Crew, The Quest for Planet 9 is a cooperative trick-taking game that is so fun and easy to play. The deck contains cards valued from 1 to 9 in 4 different suits, along with 4 trump cards of their own suit. The crew, The Quest for Planet 9, also contains a logbook that has a 50 scenario narrative and presents players with challenges. Each game, the entire deck is dealt out to all the players. Often, a number of gold cards will be distributed to the players. Each gold card depicts a specific card from the, de- from the deck, such as a yellow 8. These gold cards tell players which tricks they need to win. The crew also limits your communication with your teammates. You are not allowed to explicitly talk about what you have in your hands or what everyone else should do. Instead, everyone has a communication token, and once per game, they can take a card out of their hand and lay it face up on the table and place a communication token onto it. Where they place that communication token will indicate further information. If it's placed at the top, it means that this is the highest card of this suit in my hand. If the token is placed at the bottom, it means this is the lowest card of this suit in my hand. And if the token is placed in the center of the card, it means this is the only card of the suit in my hand. The crew, the quest for Planet 9, has become a fast favorite at ours. So much so, that when the follow-up game, the crew, Mission Deep Sea, became available, I bought it almost instantly. I'll talk about the differences between these two games another time. The crew, the quest for Planet 9, became a fast favorite of ours. Easy to play, and it's amazing how much tension such a small little cooperative game can create. Restricting communication while knowing what each player has to do is quite the challenge. Everyone is holding back, trying to control the flow of the game, while silently hoping and praying that each other person is going to do what you want them to do, lest all your plans fall apart. The last game I played this week is Battlestar Galactica, the board game. I've often proclaimed that I'm a mechanics-first kind of gamer. While a theme can draw me in, it takes good gameplay and solid mechanics to keep me engaged and interested. Battlestar Galactica the board game by designer Corey Konetska is one of those games that seems to buck that trend. Battlestar Galactica is a cooperative game with a hidden trader element. Throughout the game, the players will be taking actions, playing cards to pass skill checks, and debate on which risks to take 
all in an effort to lead the remains of humanity to their new home or die trying. BSG features hidden role cards secretly telling players if they're human or if they're a Cylon. The Cylons only win if the humans lose. Halfway through the game, all players will receive a second hidden role card, potentially turning someone who has been on the human team up until now into a Cylon. Like most co-op games, there are several ways for the humans to lose and only one way to win. I don't feel like Battlestar Galactica the board game is a particularly intriguing or interesting game on its own. Mechanically, the board is a sparse action selection mechanism and there's a lot of luck involved. The game begins with the humans flying a fully functioning ship and then tasks them with putting out fires and covering bullet holes with duct tape, hoping to just barely crawl over the finish line. Unfortunately, when things start to go poorly, there's not a lot of opportunities for the humans to recover. What makes Battlestar Galactica work for me is the interactions with the other players. A major part of that is playing with the right people. One of the players at our table acts the fool with a loud mouth and wide grin. He's the first to cast accusations across the table. It's that dynamic, playing off each other, gaining trust, and then crushing it and reacting to each other that makes Battlestar Galactica a joy to play. BSG won't be a game I go back to often, but it will be one of those event games that I think of fondly. And that's all I played this week. If you're interested to hear more about what I think about board games, head on over to meepleandthemoose.com to read my board game reviews. Or follow me on Twitter at Moose Meeple. Have a great Wednesday. Hi, I'm David. And I'm Jordan. And we are Board on the Air, a weekly radio show and podcast in Saskatoon. And this is What Have You Been Playing? Uh, This week, we are going to talk about... Coffee Traders from Capstone Games. This is a heavy Euro. Yes, it is quite heavy. Yeah. Uh, in it, you are working with free trade cooperatives to create coffee and fulfill orders for contracts and deliver to different coffee shops and a whole bunch of stuff that happens in three rounds. Yes. Each of those three rounds, you have six different phases. So the first phase, you're messing with all the cooperatives on the board. So you're putting out plantations. You're putting guys in new plantations. You're... What's the other two? Uh, you're, you're getting donkeys. You're getting money. Yeah. And... Yeah, you're hiring workers. You're seeding plantations. You're getting money. And the donkeys. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in the second round... You're making sure all those plantations have a worker on them or else they're not going to produce any coffee. Yep. Uh, Third phase is the building phase where you're building and I guess activating where you're going to be getting your coffee from. Yeah, you have... uh, Traders or contractors. Yeah. They're the same thing. (laughs) You're either going to send a guy out as a trader to get you coffee or use them as a contractor to build you a building at one of the cooperatives. Or on your board to increase your storage. Yes, exactly. Uh, the fifth phase, or fourth phase? Fourth phase is the coffee generation phase. Yeah, which is done a little differently. Uh, so each plantation creates either two or three coffees, depending on how many players are playing. And then it gets dished out to the people who have sent traders to those regions. The first player gets one of the coffee first, and then it goes first, and then however many people, and then just keeps doing that till all the coffee is gone. Yeah, and if you have a uh, farm at those places, you uh, get... Not farm, free trade hut. A free trade hut, you get an additional coffee first. So that comes off the top along with the first person that goes there. Uh, most you can get is five plus any bonus coffees. Yep. Uh, so... If you have it perfectly set up, you can get seven coffee in a in eight, an area. Eight, because there's two far or two free t- trade huts and a first player. Yeah. So it's just hard. To nobody get ever did that. No, no one really went heavy yeah. into double free trade hut because you sort of need all the coffee. Yeah, and the fifth phase of the game, you are fulfilling contracts and delivering coffee. Yes. Uh in that there's some bonus actions you can take where you can 
trade co- one coffee for another a la Catan. Oh, you're trading goods. You start off four to one, then three to one, then two to one. You can always buy coffee with money. Yeah. And then when you're sending out your traders to the cooperatives, you're also getting these little factory tokens. I think they're called factory tokens yeah. or supply tokens. And you put them underneath your board and you can trade three different ones to get one extra storage thing yeah. or five of them to get two of them. Yeah. So you, uh, after you finish your contracts, if you have coffee left, you have to have a warehouse to store them in. Uh, everybody starts with a warehouse level of one, and then you can add more to have like warehouse levels of two, three, four, or five, or you can put them specifically for one type of coffee, which gives you a, a limit of 10 of that type of coffee. Yeah. You can uh, always go above the limit. You just yeah. have to come back down. Yeah. It's at the end of the round. It has to fit under there, except you get a bonus coffee for each of those factory tokens you have. Yeah. Uh, final phase is just the cleanup phase. Uh, so you're putting more coins out for the bonuses. Uh, you're bringing your guys back and you're seeing if you can, you have your three bonus actions. You're making sure everything is refilled on that one. One of them is taking three coins from it, which if you can't pay those three coins back, you lose three points for every coin you can't pay. Yeah. You, you have your regular storage level, but then there's a corporate bonus you can get. You can get two of three, which is either an extra action in the first phase uh, extra trader or extra contractor. trader or contractor or three coins. Uh, this was a heavy game. Uh, I had a great time playing it. I got absolutely destroyed. Well, the big thing to note about the first time we played is that we never really looked at how the scoring was going to work. We had a general idea, but when we got to it, it's like, Oh, so there's also yeah. this here and this here that is affecting the scoring. Yeah, there there was 80 points that I really didn't account for. Uh, really want to try this one again fast uh, while it's fresh in the brain, and I think uh, Mel would like your mom would like it. Oh yeah, I, I think it's right up her alley. Uh, I really liked how the phases worked. It really reminded me of Dinosaur Island. Yep. And Dinosaur World. It fit a little bit better on the table than some of those games, though. It has a huge board, but it's only too wide. And so it, you know, I have a, a board game table and it fits down the middle. And then the boards fit perfectly on either side. I think my table is about, you know, three feet by five feet or the vault in it. And it fit perfectly on that board. But it did take up a lot of lot oh, yeah. of that there board. was not a lot of space left but if, you're, you're not building cards and stuff no, there's or, nothing going outside other than your excess donkeys trucks yeah there are a lot of pieces for each player uh, and really you're getting between three and four actions per turn yeah uh, or in the first phase which is the the main worker phase uh so it's it still took three-ish hours oh yeah it's not a short game it, yeah as we were saying it sort of had a little bit of a lacerta feel where you're like okay we need to do this how do i get this so i need to do this how do i get this to do this to do this to do this yeah but it's a little bit more you can see it instead of being like i have no idea how this connects to get that but yeah does. lacerta is a bit more of a puzzle uh, there was still some reverse engineering of, okay, I need to do this. How do I get this? You know, I borrowed these coins. How do I make sure I still have those three coins at the end? How do I create an income? Right. <laughs> there is a lot of that going on. And there was a lot of, a, a lot of people stopping to think we played a three player game and all three of us were not quick. I'm doing this when it came to our turn. There was a lot of stopping and thinking as to what the best action is. Cause it is only three rounds. Yeah. So you, you're really excuse me, limited on what you can do in the game. Oh yeah, like the first the first phase, you're at most going to have four action cubes and three of the actions need one and one of them needs two. Then the sec, then at most you're going to have five or six traders in the second or yeah. third phase. Like if you get all your bonus traders out, because there's, there's some stuff when you do stuff, you get extra traders or extra trucks and stuff. I, I got the trader. And that's it. I didn't see the truck. I didn't get everything moved up that far on the... There's some tracks in it, Ella, Zolkin and stuff as I'm, well. I'm thinking back on it. I actually would have got the truck in that game. 
because I filled up that one row. But it wouldn't have done anything, just got me three extra points. But Yeah, so that is Coffee Traders. Really solid Euro game. A decent theme to it, I thought. Yeah, you can get the feel of it because you have to put your level ones, then your level twos, then your three level three coffee areas. Yeah. So big thumbs up for me. And we will talk to you next week. Yeah. Hey, folks. It's Ryan here from Mr. Rouse Gaming Rants and Reviews. Welcome to another week of What You've Been Playing Wednesday, where this week I'm going to be chatting about a little game called Cuphead, the fast-rolling dice game designed by Patrick Marino, illustrated by Steven DeStefano, and published in 2021 by The Op. Cuphead and Mugman have gotten themselves into a real pickle this time. A wager with the devil went sideways, and now the brothers have no choice but to travel the Inkwell Isles collecting soul contracts for the devil himself. Elder Kettle and Miss Chalice are joining the cause as one to four players battle through eight unique boss battles, and each battle deck is packed in a separate box and must be unlocked by defeating all the previous foes. Don't worry, Pork Rinds Emporium cards help players upgrade their weapons and abilities to prepare them for the final battles. Simultaneous, fast-paced play and unlockable content along with the performance grading system provide increasing challenges for even the most experienced players. Cuphead Fast Rolling Dice Game is a frantic, fun-for-the-whole-family type of game, especially if you are a fan of the very difficult video game IP. And I feel that this game does a very good job in creating the feeling of the video game IP if you're familiar with it, but by all means, you don't need to know anything about the IP to enjoy this experience. Essentially, a game session will have players trying to complete a boss deck, which consists of three, maybe more phases. In each phase will consist of a number of rounds in which the boss is attacking you and you need to be able to defend and attack and attack back. This is done by matching dice results to the boss's attack cards. Successfully defend all the attacks. Congratulations, you didn't take any damage this time. But did you do damage back along the way? Some attacks are very simple to defend, only requiring one die. And some are very complicated, which require two dice. Those simple attacks give you opportunities to attack back as long as you have rolled the illustrious finger shooter die to assign to it. Defense and attack dice need to be placed on your player boards left to right and there is no going back once a dice is placed. Simple right? But wait, you only have 10 to 20 seconds each round to do this based on the difficulty you've selected. And believe me, 20 seconds is not a lot of time, and with each die only have a 1 in 6 chance to roll that one specific icon that you need, the pressure mounts really, really fast. Failure to defend an attack will result in a player losing one of their starting three hit points, and if a player is ever defeated uh, by running out of hit points, the players have lost the boss battle and must start again at the beginning of the deck. Unless, of course, someone has collected some of those parry tokens that can be used to bring players back to life with one hit point. Now you have to KO the boss in each phase by bringing their hit points down to zero before they run out of attack cards. Failure to do so does still allow the players to proceed to the next phase, but the group has to collect a time token as penalty that will count against your score at the end of the boss deck. Now, if you complete all the phases of a boss deck, you knock out the boss. You get to be able to collect some coins as a reward to be able to spend on upgrading your weapons and abilities. You also get a letter grade on how well you did against the boss, and then you get to move on to the next boss deck. The game comes with eight unique boss decks, with most of them changing the rules of the gameplay mechanics at play. We have had a lot of fun with this game, and it's very addicting. With a short playtime of 15 to 20 minutes uh, for each boss deck, a group can easily play multiple times in one session. It has quickly become one of our most played games of 2022 so far, and we've only had it for just over a week. The campaign-esque nature of beating the bosses in order does feel like we're playing through a video game, and being able to unlock and upgrade our weapons along the way makes for some fun conversations of, when are we going to play again, Dad? With that being said, we have finished all of the boss decks. 
but are now going back to play the earlier bosses with our newly purchased gear to see if we had, if any combinations will help us achieve our ultimate goal of getting an A on every boss. And that's what I've been playing lately. Be sure to check out my full overview, thoughts, and review of Cuphead, the fast-rolling dice game, over on my brand new YouTube channel. Just search up Mr. Rouse Gaming Rants and Reviews. Also, if you'd like, follow my gaming adventures on Twitter. Just search up at Mr. Rao 643. That's M-I-S-T-A-R-A-U 643. Well, enjoy of what you've been enjoy the rest of the show, folks, and remember to game on. Hello everyone, this is Chris Morris from Mozart Games, and I am thrilled to be back again on What You've Been Playing Wednesday this week. If you want to give me a follow on Twitter, you can find me there as SpiderMo. That's Spider with a Y. I'll often post pics of games that I've been playing, some of my ongoing challenges as a designer, and a few rants and raves along the way. Now this week, I'd like to talk about Cartographer's Heroes, the standalone expansion for the 2019 hit Cartographers, designed by John Breiger and Jordi Adan, and is published by Thunderworks Games. Now before I talk about what, ad- what this adds to the game, I should probably explain what Cartographers is if you're not familiar with it. Cartographers is a roll-and-write where a card is drawn each turn, depicting one of four different terrain types and one or two shapes that that terrain must be drawn in on your personal map. Players will get to choose anywhere on their map to draw the shape, all the while trying to match up to different scoring criteria that occurs each round or season. Cartographers uses a scoring mechanism where the goals change each season, much like how Isle of Sky does it, with each scoring condition being used twice in the game. Players need to decide whether they want to try to score points for what's important right now in this current season, or instead, try to plan a season or two in advance and build an engine that will score a pile of points later in the game while sacrificing some points right now. There's some mountains that are scattered around the player sheets, and if a player ever surrounds a mountain on all four sides, then they earn a coin, which scores you an additional point at the end of each round. You also earn a coin by drawing the smaller shape uh, shown on a drawn card, which can take up less space, but may be worth doing in order to squeeze into a certain location. Getting a few coins early can really boost your score, but they aren't as valuable later on. Now, occasionally, a monster will appear, at which point all players will give their map sheet to their neighbor, and that player gets to decide where the monster will appear. Monsters can really mess up your plans, and each space that's next to one that isn't filled in will lose you a point each round. So, you may need to change your plans to deal with this new threat when they do appear. Each season, a new monster is added to the deck, So, if you didn't see one this round, you may have to deal with two in a subsequent round. Now, they are discarded after they appear, so you don't have to worry about them getting two out of hand later in the game. Once all four seasons have been completed, players add up their points from each round, and whoever has the highest total has mapped out the best region and is declared the winner. Games can be pretty quick, although later in the game you may struggle to find the ideal location to draw a certain terrain type that appears. Cartographer's Heroes takes the premise of the original and just does more or less of the same thing, with the addition of heroes now being able to be drawn in a round to help fend off those pesky monsters that appear. When a hero arrives, they can be drawn in any single space and they'll have several spaces that they can mark off near them, destroying any monsters in those spaces if there are any there, or preventing a monster from being drawn in those spaces later on, saving your carefully laid plans. Heroes arrive just like monsters do, with a new one added each season. The monsters that are included in this expansion all have unique abilities too, allowing them to expand if not dealt with, or destroying adjacent territory, thus adding a little more complexity to the game. 
I find that the shapes that appear in Heroes are a little more challenging at times, with some more unique shapes appearing in this expansion. If you have both games, you do need to decide which set of terrain to include in each game, and you can't shuffle them all together. I guess this prevents the opportunity to not have a certain terrain show up at all during a game, but I do wish there was a way to include both sets somehow in order to create a little bit more variety during a game. The same thing also goes with the monsters. You can use one set or the other according to the rules, but I have been tempted to try it with them mixed together. A game of cartographers always starts off simple enough with a wide open sheet of paper in front of each player that slowly gets filled in during the game, and by the end, you may be struggling to fit shapes in. Now, if you ever cannot fit in a shape that appears, you are able to draw a single square of any one terrain anywhere on your sheet. And there are times you may be hoping that a difficult shape appears that you can't place just to be able to finish off another area that you're working on in order to score some extra points at the end of a round. I always have a blast with these games, no matter which one I play. I have no artistic talent whatsoever, so my maps never look beautiful, but it's always a fun journey, and there are times when you feel really smart when things fall perfectly into place. However, there is nothing worse than carefully planning things in order to score big time in the final round when suddenly a dragon appears, destroying your forest and losing you a pile of points as it torches the one area that you needed in order to score those points. Cartographers is a very fun and unique roll and write, and it can be played with any number of people, so long as everyone has a score sheet and a pencil. If you want to get really creative, you can use colored pencils and draw a really beautiful map with details all over it. Anyone with a little creative skill will have a great time drawing their maps. It plays quickly, and it's super easy to teach to anyone. If you're looking for a simple roll and write with a little bit of meat on its bones, you can't go wrong with either cartographers or heroes. Or both for more options. Once again, I'm Chris Morris, and may all of your dice rolls be critical successes. What up, gamers? I'm Jason. I'm Julie, and together we're Dice and Dragons, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube at Dice and Dragons, and at, on Twitter at Dice and Dragon. And what is it today, Julie? I believe it's What You've Been Playing Wednesdays! And what game have we been playing? Massive Darkness 2. And if it has a bigger name, then you know what it is. <laughs> yeah. It is Hellscape. It is designed by Alex Oltianu and Marco Portugal. It is based on the original Massive Darkness, uh, and it is published by Simon Games. So we talked a little bit about this last time. We've got to get some more quality time with this game on the table. Now, the only thing that we've not done yet is tried one of the boss fights. Don't worry, we will have done that by the time we get to our review, which will be coming out after this video. So you'll definitely want to check it out if you want to hear what that new big element is. Now, one thing I can safely say in this dungeon crawl game for one to five players, it is an iteration on the original Massive Darkness. It is largely the same, but they have smoothed out some of the weaknesses in the rules and definitely added more campaign elements that are available to the game. We haven't touched those uh, as of yet, but really it's just an overall cleaner, smoother product. I mean, you only played the original Massive Darkness once and- I was gonna say, I don't remember it at all, don't ask me. <laughs> because it was, a, it, was, it was clunky, I didn't think you really liked it. I played it originally with, with Sammy G and we had fun with it, but it's been sitting on the shelf for quite a long time unplayed. Yeah, so, I mean, we played this, um, we played a t tutorial three players and it was very easy. And then we played a couple of missions, two players, and it was still very easy, but surprisingly quick and not necessarily in a bad way. I I think what what not annoyed me, what was a little disappointing for me, was how easy it was. And I think we we play a lot of cooperative games, a lot of dungeon crawls. We want a little bit more of a challenge. So we tried it four players. Yeah, and the one thing I will say is that I'm not entirely sure that the game would be overly easy at two players depending on the classes that you're playing. I mean, you did very well at the rope, uh, but I think one thing that made it very easy, and it's I'd say the same thing, but you got to play the wizard at this point. I haven't as of yet uh, this time of recording. But the ranger and the wizard 
from far away can decimate entire groups of enemies in one shot at two players. And I think that's really the big problem where it becomes imbalanced because you're just like, boom, boom, dead, dead. And it really doesn't benefit the game in a positive way. Now, potentially the Rogue and the Paladin might have a little bit more challenge with that. Potentially the Berserker as well. So I think just if you're playing two players, you don't want it to be too easy. Pick your classes accordingly. Well, the thing is with the Berserkers, it can be a lot of fun if you're taking damage. And, and I had I had some good... Um, uh, I had some good ways to give myself damage in a way with some of the skills okay. and some of the weapons that you I had. You need your rage. To be able to get the rage, to be able to, to do some massive damage. Um, but then, you know, I found myself in situations where... I wanted to right away be able to do some massive dar damage and I had no rage left because I had just emptied it out and you know it's, it's a little bit of a frustrated situation when you're trying to find a way to get yourself injured so that you can build up some rage. So that was the frustrating thing for me with the Berserker but I really enjoyed the Wizard. I also enjoyed the Rogue. Um, she plays differently but she's still fun. I mean what did you think of the Rogue? I really like the Rogue. I like her bag of toolkits and the fact that you can sometimes get five, six actions in a turn depending on what you can do also if you get combat done in shadow mode when you get to draw more things you can potentially draw your entire like very difficult but it can definitely statistically happen that you could draw your entire bag on a turn yeah i like that shadow element i like rolling that that purple dice uh, it's funny because i think the first the first couple times we didn't really see that special ability come up and in our last game we kept rolling it and i'm like there are the rolls for the shadow special ability it took us a while to get it but then it finally came up so it's pretty good, and I'm really enjoying just the smoothness of the game. It's very simple, very easy to play, easy to teach. There is a lot of little moving pieces, but one or two people can definitely handle that load, and you can play this with a wide range of gamers. Now, you were talking about the four players. I think we should go back to that. Just the Yeah, four, four players is a lot more fun. It's more difficult. It has a, a more minions coming at you. The one thing I would say about it is there's a huge time difference. I, I just want to interject there. I don't, I'm not entirely sure how large the time difference is because this is a guillotine and Simon game product. And just like Zombicide, you've got missions that can be very easy. And the Zombicide says it's 60 minutes. And we've had two hour to two and a half hours on beside games as well. So I'm not exactly sure that it's the player count. It definitely contributes because there are just more minions, more stuff to deal with. So 100%, you're right on that point. But I think the mission we played with four players was just longer because we have to do so many different things to accomplish it. Whereas the first two, it was like two different objectives and then run out the door. Yeah, I mean, it, it. that like I, I was actually going to say, I'm not sure if it's just the mission, but it definitely is much longer with four players. There's just a lot more minions that pop up, but that made it more interesting. So, I mean, it, it depends what you're going for. If you're going for an easy, straightforward game, you know, go for it. At, you know, maybe start off with uh, two players, two characters, and then move your way up. Uh, I think you said you heard that the optimal player count is probably three. Yeah, and I'd have to say, I think that probably is the optimal player count. It doesn't really work for us because we need to play uh, four players if we're each playing two characters. Otherwise, we'd be passing a character back and forth. I'm not quite sure what we're going to do because uh, we do want to try out this boss battle mode, but I think we want to try it at four players. Maybe we'll spawn just a couple less minions just to ensure that we're able to play it all through in one sitting. Uh, that'd be the only reason for us to tweak that because uh, we really want to get that experience. But overall, I got to say, I enjoy this game. I think it's actually going to be a staple of the collection. I don't think this one's going to be going Okay, anywhere. well, don't sell everything in advance. We want people to tune in as well. So I would say if you want more detail and want to hear more about the boss battle, you can tune in to our review that's going to be on YouTube tomorrow. Hey, don't forget, there are some staples of our collection that we did not rate very well. So it doesn't tell you what we're actually going to be rating the game. Just that this one is good enough to not get the boot. <laughs> okay, and on that note, we're going to remind everybody to... Keep playing games. Hey, Norm here from the Cardboard Conjecture Podcast and Bridge City Board Gamers here in Saskatoon. And before I talk about what I have been playing on, uh, it, before I talk about what I've been playing, I don't know if that's good grammar, uh, let's see what the... Bridge City Board Gamers community here in Saskatoon has been playing. And Ash says, 
Saboteur and Shadows Over Camelot. Uh, two fantastic, I don't know if it is the S series that you're playing, but well done. Shadows Over Camelot, Days of Wonder, so right away, excellent uh, uh, you know, production quality and probably, for me at least, the first uh, hidden trader game that I played <laughs> very successfully. Uh, Scott, approaching the ends of both our Marvel's uh, Marvel Champions and D&D campaigns. Excellent. Both uh, based in heroes. Gotta like it. Gotta like it very much. Jeff. Let's see what Jeff uh, has here. Uh, my Farm Shop, Bitoku, Baron Park, Marvel Champions, uh, Origins, First Contacts, I believe, The Isle of Cats, and The Quacks of Quidlinburg. Uh, wow. Wow. Very busy. Very busy indeed. I haven't played Baron Park. I was going to pick that game up the other day. It's one of those polyomino uh, kind of spatial relationship kind of games. And it's designed by Philip Walker Harding, who is such a great designer in that, in that light to medium range. It's just, just enough for your brain to be happy and, and not so much rule set that the teach is, you know, part of the whole process. So, yeah, great. Those are great games. Jonathan played Libertalia, Winds of Galecrest in Karuba. And uh, I think Winds of Galecrest is the new edition by uh, um, Stonemeyer. And of course, Stonemeyer, I mean, you can't argue the quality, the component quality. And everybody has been saying that this is such a great game. So this is one of those that I've not played in the past and I am going to play. Uh, you know, hopefully recently. Ha um, uh, Hans uh, Stroganov, and we're not talking the food, we're talking the military game, right? Uh, Tekenu with Time of Seth, Viticulture, Boon Lake, and Terraforming Mars. I see, you knew Terraforming Mars is going to come in there at some point. Uh, Viticulture, one of my favorite games, uh, making wine. And uh, I mentioned before, Stronghold, so uh, not Stronghold, Stonemire. Duh. Uh, <laughs> and Boone Lake, Alexander Pfister, that is a, um, one of the heavier Pfister games. I, I don't know. Uh, if you like, if you like Great Western Trail, this will be up your alley because let's just say it's thicker. Uh, Tim looks like Tim's been playing some Wingspan and some Carcassonne. And, uh, and, and it looks like the town that they've built in Carcassonne, uh, is quite large so well done those look great dan dice throne with my game club excellent excellent that is yahtzee put in a thematic head-to-head uh, -head match so brilliant eli more is empires of the north and little cthulhu uh, death may die you know cthulhu death may die a lot of people have said that's just a fun you know go in and bash things around so i don't know I'll have to try that. Patrick, sadly nothing since mandates and masks have been removed and won't game with anyone I don't know if they don't use a mask. Here, here. Yes, we all still have to be responsible even though other people aren't making responsible decisions. And that's about as political as I'm going to get for you. <laughs> Chris, a bit of Stardew Valley and I've been playing the digital version of the Dresden Files card game on my laptop. Excellent. The, um, the Dresden Files is such a cool game because it is based off of a, uh, a TV show. Well, I, I can. A TV show from what I know. And uh, I think the TV show, not I think. I know the TV show is based off of uh, a book series. So right on, right on, right on. I don't think the Dresden Files caught on quick with the tabletop kind of thing. So... Yeah, Lane played the crew, Blackout Hong Kong, Marvel Champions, near, near, far, uh, Mythalix, Lagranha, Love Letters, wow, great lineup. I love Lagranha, and uh, it, it, uh, it's such a fantastic game. I've, I've always said that it's, uh, if, if Feld and Rosenberg were to have a cardboard uh, spawn of a hybrid game, it would be this one. Uh, so yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Marianne played some King of Tokyo. 
Yes, King of Tokyo. What a fun game. Uh, again, I think it's that Yahtzee mechanism with a one versus many kind of thing. And the, what's brilliant about that is it's kaiju, smash them up, and it's fast. So that's great. That's great indeed. Um, what have I been playing lately? Well, I've been focusing on one game because I have been, uh, I've been playing around with the idea of having a little YouTube live play thing. And uh, so I've started with Ginkopolis because that's the game. That's the most recent game I picked up. And it was one of the unicorns that I've been hunting for so long. And I'm metaphorically speaking, right? I mean, you know, you know. Um, <laughs> so Ginkopolis, uh, designed by Xavier George and uh, published by Pearl Games. This is, uh, I mean, there's a futuristic idea of, of getting back into harmony with the, with the, with the, it's a, it's a druid city building game. <laughs> You're getting ba back in the balance with, with nature and focused on the ginkgo biloba tree uh, being the most strongest and prolific uh, in that era. And uh, I, I'm just a cool name title, I think, too. Um, but it's, it's a tile placement, city building, um, uh, driven by cards. And I think what I really enjoy about this game, there's, I mean, Xavier George is one of my favorite designers. I mean, bar none. Uh, I think he's in the top five or even top three for me. And uh, what this game is, I love city building. I love tile placement. I love multiple mechanisms weaving together. But what I think this game, and it, there's a lot of hidden information in this game because you have these little, these little uh, tent cards that hide what kind of tiles you have, how many resources you have, and how many points you have because it's a Euro, it's a victory point thing. And um, I like the, here's the things I like about the game. I like the, or, the organic growth of, of the city because there's no script to this game in regards to how the, the cards come out, how the tiles are selected, um, what you do with the choices in the drafting that you have in the cards. Solo is different than, than uh, multiplayer, so uh, you know there's two approaches to that. But um, what I also really like about this game is there's no long <laughs> there's definitely no long-term planning in the area control or area majority of it because it can flip uh, by the time it gets it can flip two, three times by the time it gets to your turn. And what am I talking about here? Uh, I'm going to have a little sip of coffee first. So what I'm talking about here is, uh, thank you, um, uh, there is area control based on three different colors or three different re resources. I'll call them red, blue, and yellow. And uh, they're, they're significant in the resources they represent in tiles, resources, and points because those are the big three of this game. And um, if you can connect, orthogonally connect, uh, a, a series or a block of colors, the resources or the controlling colored resources of each player represent the like the top value of how much that area is worth. So if there's four tiles and there's three on each, you know, do the math, it's 12, right? Um, total points, so whoever has the most majority of that gets those total points. Whoever has the second, you know, second place uh, in regards to uh, area majority or area control gets only the amount of points that are reflective to their presence in that area. So it is chaotic, <laughs> absolutely. So if you don't like chaos, if you like to establish an Excel spreadsheet and a predictable, somewhat predictable path of success without interference, this is not the game for you. This is push-pull, um, uh, zoink, you thought, you, like pulling the, the, the tablecloth out from underneath the play setting, and trying not to disturb much, but having your stuff there in place. Um, this is that kind of last-minute tactical, think-on-your-feet game that uh, is pretty stressful for those people who, who, who like to plan. Because, like I said, by the time if you're last, by the time it gets to you, what you're thinking of doing could change uh, a couple times. But here's the painful part is that you can't wait to decide what you do until it gets to your turn because it's all, um, you. everybody has to do like a hidden 
action selection and then reveal. So there's uh, this, yeah, this game is crazy fun. If you like that kind of game, I'm going to put a big bold-faced underline. If you like chaos, <laughs> this is the game for you. All right, so that that is uh, Ginkopolis. And I have the expansion, but I haven't gotten into it because the base game still trying to dial into it. And I'm going to review it. And like I said, um, this is the first in the Let's Play YouTube series that on the Cardboard Conjecture YouTube channel. And uh, I just want to say right away, I put a big disclaimer on it. There are mistakes made in this game. Trust me, I am, I am full of mistakes, this guy. Um, and uh, the one big uh, eye twitch uh, is at the end, I thought I was being so clever um, just so I could organize my scoring. I took the resources off of the areas as I was scoring before I checked the cards for end game scoring conditions. And some of them say, if you have a single resource on this color, you get a point. So I kind of messed that up. But bottom line, as I, I declared, the the AI beat me up, <laughs> which is good because if I, if, if I have a really good win percentage in a solo game, it's not challenging me enough. So this is so far uh, a really good challenge for the chaos part of my brain. And that's probably 95% of my brain. <laughs> All right. So that being said, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for the content creators that uh, uh, contribute and, uh, and are part of this special weekly episode. Thank you, thank you. And uh, that being said, keep your stick on the ice and take care out there, eh? <laughs>